Welcome to Our Soul, a podcast by Kelly Fox and Terry Williams from the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. So, protest. So today we're we're going to be talking about protesting because, I mean, there are so many reasons to be talking about protesting right now, uh, one of which is the fact that George Floyd's murderer is currently on trial and... I'll be honest, for my own self-care, I have not been watching those trials. And the only reason that we're getting accountability in a trial is because people went out and protested and made it very clear that the people will not accept anything less than accountability in this moment. And so now I think we're all kind of breathless because the question is, did you hear our protest? Like, did you, did, did this, this voice of the people that was expressed last year, did it come through? Because if not, um, large scale protests are not a, a thing of the past, right? It didn't just happen once. Like, protest is a, a voice amplification effort of moral agency, right? And we've, we've seen protests throughout history in this nation and you know certainly you and I have been been part of many protests but like you know at some point you begin to say I cannot be silent about things that matter to me and you decide that you're going to make your voice heard and that's what creates that kind of change you know when when was your first protest Kelly so I would say like the first, like, big, memorable protest that I was a part of. Um, I used to be a part of the Methodist Church for a very long time, like most of my life. And um, in 2019, um, the Methodist Church had their general conference in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, this conference in particular was a special conference to talk about, talking about whether or not um, queer people are also given the belovedness to deserve being ordained <laughs> that everyone else gets. Um, and so I, I was actually there as a part of a class for um, what was at the time my Masters of Divinity. The, the whole issue was around um, wanting to adapt either a more inclusive um, policy around queer people being able to be ordained um, and be married in the Methodist Church or to have a more restrictive policy that doubles down on the fact that you apparently can only be straight or celibate to be an ordained um, person in the Methodist Church. And so when I was there, it came to pass <laughs> that the traditional plan, which is just as bad as you might imagine, um, passed at a 51 to 49 percent rate so very close and after that vote went down it was kind of like a whirlwind of a moment where that happened and then all of a sudden there were lots of um lots of different things that were going around which were well coordinated um there was kind of a liturgy of um mourning in that moment uh, there were people on the floor who had taken the cross off of the stage and put it away from the stage because, like, it felt like an unholy place. There were people who were, um, you know, trying to get to the floor 
to just like show the their hurt and the fact that uh you know i think that a lot of the chants are like not about us without us um and a lot of queer people were not a part of that conversation and it was just like a moment of beauty and pain and like a moment of reclaiming the space that they were trying to take us away from and i'm tearing up uh mm. just like thinking about it and and that moment and even within the the context of a a protest within a church environment there were still police involved <laughs> there were still Tons like they were police. they were blocking oh the entrance to um the lower levels and it's like why do we have to have protection from from people that we're supposed to be in community with from, from members to be... from members of your own church exactly right? yeah. it, it, there was yeah. that strict disconnection from those people and i mean i could go on and on about all the the like toxic insidious things that people who were dead set on oppressing oppressing queer people and this isn't even this is without even considering race. We're just talking about like sexuality here. Um, I could I could talk about all those things, but like that would that would be a full podcast in itself. But like that moment of uh, reclaiming what people had tried to take from us was was really powerful um, and really moving. Uh, there's the quote from MLK um, that is like rioting is the the language of the unheard and um that's kind of like what it felt like having that that time to to make ourselves be heard it's still a mess <laughs> it's like things have not changed as far as i know in the last two years we made our voices heard and um i know that later months later we had a gathering of queer people and um allies and I think that that moment of protest led to that moment of community. We we spoke out together and we shared our pain and our tears and our voices. And then months later, we came together and said like, okay, what are we gonna do to to move forward and create something for ourselves if, if they're not going to do something for us? So um, I think protest is really like a powerful, a powerful thing that can lead to really good community support um, and can can really bring people together. I think being able to share your voice and seeing the people around you that are sharing their voices alongside of you can, can really move things forward. E even if it's not within that, the moment of the protest, um, you build up that community support and then you can have change. Absolutely. And I, I think that's what you see out of, you know, I I was in St. Louis in 2019 for general conference as well. I w I'm not a United Methodist, but went to uh, Methodist undergrad, Methodist uh, seminary. And uh, I, I was invited by, by several of my Methodist friends uh, to come. And one of them said, you're kind of like an, a United Methodist emotional support animal. <laughs> that, you know, we, we, need, we need people here to help, like, uh, keep, us, keep us rooted and, and centered and to be present with us. And that protest, all of those protest actions for days, um, you know, escalated uh, to the point that St. Louis police were coming in and... 
uh, you know, smashing people's hands and doors and shoving people out into the the lobby mm-hmm. and, you know, forcibly removing people um, with with really violent tactics Mm -hmm. because the institution did not want to see them. And what happened over the course of those, those days was that the institution had to acknowledge that, wow, we really are not going to be able to silence this. Mm -hmm. Like we will have to make a decision. And you know, I've, I've followed United Methodist uh, uh, dogma and drama for (laughs) decades, right. Uh, Being, being part of the like Methodist adjacent family. And it cracked me up that once, like, General Conference 2019 happened, when the protests happened, that's when the the forces within the Methodist Church that have been all about decorum and, and you know, institutional tradition and all, you know, the every every other reason they have to throw out except, you know, it's, it's just wrong uh, for why they hold their view— they decided we really need to separate because we're not going to be able to withstand this pressure. We, we're going to have to divide. So, you know, it was after General Conference 2019 and those protests that the, the right-wing folk in the church said, we've got to split, we've got mm-hmm. to leave because we can't hold together. And then lo and behold, uh, irony of ironies, they were supposed to have a meeting in 2020 and it got canceled because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And now they have to stay together until they could all get back together for a general conference. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it, makes me, it makes me chuckle, you know, that, that side note. But the piece around protest was that the protest made very clear what the true issue was. It dramatized the truth mm-hmm. of the moment so that people who enjoyed ignoring the truth and ignoring the pain they were causing to other people had to see it, mm-hmm. had to walk past it, had to hear it screaming in the halls mm-hmm. in pain mm-hmm. and in suffering and know that they were participating in that suffering. And mm-hmm. I feel like for me, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think as we were talking, you know, before the session, like, when was my first protest? You know, the first time I can remember um, participating in a protest, I was seven years old. And it was 1991. And my daddy's union, they went out on strike because the company had come in and asked for severe concessions. They were, you know, not uh, you know, coming forward with, with forthright plans for health and safety. So like lots of horrible, horrible conditions. And our parents finally said, no, like everybody works at the plant, you know, in, in our region at that time, it was, you know, by far one of the largest employers. And they said, no, we're going out on strike. And the company, it was one of these private public partnerships, you know, with the federal government uh, the company decided they were going to try to wait them out. So they blacklisted our parents, wouldn't, uh, you know, allow people who were contracted with the plant to hire our parents on the side. Um, a lot of people had to drive all the way to West Virginia to find work during the strike. And that strike lasted for 299 days. Dang. And it was hell. You know, union households, uh, y- you know, were running out of money for electricity. People were going totally broke suicides went up, Mm -hmm. uh, domestic violence was through the roof, uh, people's kids died. I mean, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible. And I can remember standing with my daddy on the picket line and when kids would come, 
you know, we we wanted to do something. We, you know, the only thing you could really do out on a picket line if you're a child is hold a sign. So we got to hold these signs and wave <laughs> them around because we were mad mm-hmm. that our, you know, I was mad that my daddy had to be out here on this picket line in the middle of, you know, the freezing cold and not in working his job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through that process, even though, you know, they came back off the strike without a lot of concessions over the ensuing years in that process the management of the plant made major concessions because they said we never ever want to get back in that kind of situation because they lost a huge amount of clout they lost a huge amount of business they looked really really bad even though they were winning Mm -hmm. right so like even though the the power structure was able to continue to grind these people down on the official line, mm-hmm. they had to make concessions because they knew that they were not going to be able to withstand that kind of public pressure again. And that's the power of protest. That protest says, we don't care if we lose today because one of these days we're not going to lose mm-hmm. and we're coming for you. Mm-hmm. We are coming for you because you are not doing justice in this world. Mm-hmm. We are coming for you because you are not respecting the dignity of persons in this world. We're coming for you because you do not respect what needs to be respected. Mm-hmm. And in our current climate in the state of Ohio, our government wants to criminalize protest right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have these anti-protest bills that have come up in front of the General Assembly that are directly targeted at speech that the current government just does not like. They just don't like Black Lives Matter, and they just don't like people protesting, um, you know, at uh, St. Joseph's Cathedral, right? Mm-hmm. They just don't like the fact that some people have had it past their heads and beyond, uh, you know, with with all of the struggle that we're going through in this state, this this crazy um, right-wing uh, dystopia that we've turned into in Ohio, where we're just going to, you know, eliminate the governor's ability to, to make health orders, and we're going to criminalize abortion, and we're going to keep stigmatizing uh, queer families, um, you know, just get, go down the whole list, right? But we've we've got these bills that are in front of us right now that, you know, like, what is it? Senate Bill uh, 16 is all about blocking roads and sidewalks. Wants to make a felony charge out of blocking a sidewalk, right? As if, you know, blocking a sidewalk is equivalent to, to a crime of violence. I, you know? I, I mean, if blocking a sidewalk is, <laughs> is violence, man, I'm, I remember... Like, back when I was a kid, there would be lots of instances of blocking sidewalks. I mean, I think about, like, lemonade stands that I would see when I was younger. Technically, that counts. Are they going to are they gonna criminalize, criminalize young children? Um, but anyway. Well, I, the, the answer to that, though, is yes, because, you know, there are true. parts of, of these other bills that would criminalize sidewalk chalk during a protest you know often you you have protests or picket lines if people bring their kids because let's be honest if if you're a single parent or even if you're you know uh, a parent in a multi um, adult household sometimes you have to bring your kids Mm -hmm. with you to things so if you want to have your first amendment rights heard and you've got your kids 
you kind of need something for them kids to do. Mm -hmm. So a very popular thing is to bring along some sidewalk chalk and let the kids draw some pictures, you know, do whatever on the sidewalk. It washes away with the rain. You can wash it away with water. You know, it's it's nothing that's permanent. Mm -hmm. That would be a at least a a chargeable misdemeanor, if not a felony, under the proposals that are coming through the the state house. Blowing bubbles, right? <laughs> a lot of kids love to. Right, I'm. You know, it's hilarious because it's just ridiculous. It's just right? ridiculous. If kids are blowing bubbles in the middle of a protest, and they, you know, blow those bubbles, and they happen to, you know, drift over onto somebody, that could be charged as a felony. It, right? Ridiculous things I, that that should should never be part of our legal code. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, and I was saying this to you earlier, but I'll say it again. This sounds like a fun way to, you know, get rid of black and brown voting rights because, you know, when you get a felony, then you lose your you lose your right to vote. You lose a lot of um, opportunities for, um, you know, jobs and so many things that you lose access to because you've been charged with a felony and for these minute ridiculous things to charge someone for at all then become like life restricting uh charges that could strip someone from their voting rights like forever yeah and and we're in a situation we're in a situation where in the state of Ohio, um, we have not yet seen uh, bills introduced like Georgia, where they're they're trying to limit people's voting access. But it makes a lot of sense if you're going to try to pass really unpopular laws to start by passing laws that would criminalize protest. Because if we can criminalize protest first... Mm -hmm. And then we start passing really unpopular laws. Well, then we could just crack down on anything the state doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what's really central, you know, in this for me is that this is not just protest of one particular organization. Even though it's come in response to, um, you know, the activities of George Floyd protests and, and BLM... You know, this is anybody's right to protest. We saw how many times did we see this this last summer? All these anti-mask folk who were out at the state house showing they butts, right? Like like showing their hind ends over. I don't want to have to wear masks, and this is tyranny, and I want freedom. And all of those people are affected too, because as much as I think they were all absolute idiots to be walking out there you know, open carrying, you know, giant long guns and having, you know, not a stitch of nothing on their face. They have a right to make known what they're mad about and what they're frustrated about, regardless of whether it's popular, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I might not like it, but that's why I don't show up that day, mm -hmm. right? The idea that we now have a government in the state of Ohio that not only... Right, we for the last thirty years, the Ohio government has chosen who their um, electors are. Instead of letting the electors choose the representatives, the representatives have chosen the electors mm -hmm. through gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. They're not satisfied now to only do that, and they're not satisfied to simply have a supermajority of one party in power across the whole state. 
They want to have a supermajority with no criticism. They want to have a supermajority with no resistance. Yep. And, and, and if we let that go, if we let that happen in this state, this state is done for. We, we will fail to function and fail to exist as a state if we allow just one set of ideas to predominate with no accountability. Yeah. And, and thinking about these protest bills, I mean, we've seen the ways that uh, the state has picked and chosen uh, how they uh, charge people who they charge specifically when you were talking about the the people who you know were protesting not having masks and then thinking about thinking back to the insurrection um earlier this year when i was reflecting on the insurrection the thing that got me the most is that like they aren't treated with half the uh indignity and the they're not treated half as poorly (laughs) as the the people who were protesting for literally their lives. No, 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 wait, 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 though, Kelly. You're, you're trying to tell me that the police might, um, might be harder on some people than they are on other people? I, I, I just, I, I don't know about that, Kelly. I remember back to the first restorative and transformative justice, um, book club that we had, and, uh, I talked a little bit, I think, about, um, uh, punitive and retributive justice and one thing that I think about a lot is um, like police are people with their own uh, vengeances and their own feelings that they do use to target specific people they are not like unbiased in that enforcers of the law they they choose who they target they, they use their biases that they've learned from the society that they live in, in this white supremacist society, they use those biases to go after people. And when these laws are made, the people that they're targeting are not the the white people who are protesting their masks, or even the, the white Catholic protesters who are protesting against people having abortion rights. Their protest, or their, these charges are for black people or uh, protesting for their lives, other poor people protesting for their lives, protesting for better treatment. Like, this is not, this is, like, the, the reason that I think that this is a sneaky way to take away people's voting rights is because um, it, it it makes it look like it's all in the, in the name of um, wanting a more civil, just society. But that's not, that's not what we're going to get with that. Like, even if all of these things pass, white people would still have the ability to protest. It would be the black people who would have to be afraid of losing their voting rights. And even, even after, <laughs> I, I mean, I imagine when you are so unheard nothing is going to stop you from being heard, you know? This is this is just a way to make people more angry. Ah, uh, sorry, I like... And and let's be clear, though. Like, so I, I, I get kind of... I get kind of worried about calling clinic harassers protesters. That's true. I like they the are, word protest, they are just, and I... They are. Right, they're, they're not... You know, like, protesting is talking about something that happens to you. Yep. 
right, or something that affects your community. Clinic harassers are just mad that somebody else is doing stuff they don't they don't want to do. Yeah. I mean, it would be like me standing outside of Krispy Kreme donuts because I'm on a diet with signs that say, you know, don't eat donuts or you'll go to hell. Like, really? <laughs> Come on now. So, like, I those those harassers though are engaging in the kinds of behavior that would be covered under a lot of these laws. But I guarantee they're not going to get brought up on charges mm-hmm. because they're already not brought up on charges for the stuff they do. Mm-hmm. You call the police when somebody violates trespassing laws or when somebody threatens patients at a clinic. I've seen it many times. I've been there many times. I have called the police before, you know, on on those, those kind of folk at, at clinics. The police show up and... They want to talk about, well, you know, what's been the problem, what's going on, you know, and, and they spend 40 minutes talking to people and, you know, leave with a great big smile and everything's fine. Now, you know, folk called the police on Tamir Rice and they shot that child without knowing his name, yeah. you know. They called the police on, uh, you know, multiple people in Columbus. Folk got shot without even having a positive ID in their face, right? So, like... There is already a huge disparity in the application of policing in this state. And instead of doing anything, anything at all, to affect, address, or in any way help that disparity grow smaller, our state legislature is heaping additional options onto the state code that would allow for increased selective enforcement. Which just tells me that their real agenda and their real goal has nothing to do with equity. When we start looking at clinic protests, you know, the the St. Joseph's Cathedral protest um, that happened back in uh, January, I I like to call them the Roday protesters because it was on uh, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. They went into the Catholic Cathedral in Columbus and they had less than a four-minute protest where they made it known that they did not appreciate that there were hundreds of people sitting in those pews in that day who the day before had been out cursing and screaming and yelling and harassing clinic patients at abortion clinics in Columbus and in Toledo and in Cincinnati and all over the state. Mm -hmm. Those protesters came into that church and called those people out and said, you can't harass people on Thursday and expect it not to follow you to church on Friday. And they are now being drawn into court fighting charges that could be levied against absolutely any person outside of an abortion clinic any day of the week Mm -hmm. in Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, wherever, but never get levied against those people. And they have have bills to pay out of that, too. Just FYI, we're going to drop in... Um, the the comments on on this uh, podcast information about how you can support the Roday protesters if you want to make a financial donation to their legal fees. Yes. Um, it's all all being cleared through an organization in Cleveland that's five hundred one c three organization, so it's tax deductible. But like you know, these folk are getting hauled into court and have you know bills to pay, legal fees to pay to defend their right to call out the Catholic Church for systemic, coordinated, abusive harassment of abortion patients in the state of Ohio, and the people who are doing that concerted 
abusive, harassing behavior, I let off scot-free. Yep. That's, that's our current reality. Before any of these bills pass that are, are clearly targeting black folks, they're clearly targeting people who the government just currently doesn't agree with, um, it's, it's really, really a damaging precedent to set. And it would be a horrible future for Ohio if any of these bills should pass. So true. Um, yeah, well, we will be, uh, again, dropping in the, in the comments, or not the comments, but the, uh, description for this episode, we'll be dropping in that fundraiser, um, and if we have any more information on how to support, um, those protesters and support the, the ability to protest, because obviously the, the state will continue to block their ears and try to drown us out until, they have full control and we just can't let that happen so um thank you guys for listening to us and uh we'll see you in a couple weeks we'll see you soon